1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I am about ready to break one of my cardinal rules. I took four years of high school at Nicolay High School, taught by the late, great Juanita Bonneman. Mrs. Bonneman was just a wonderful woman. And despite her best efforts to teach me Latin, I, I guess there's really, years and years later, there's only two Latin phrases that stay with me. One is, in wino verum, which means in wine there is truth. And the other is, de mortem nonisi bonum, which means speak nothing but good of the dead. And in honor of, in honor of, of Mrs. Bonneman, I have always tried to live by that credo, speak nothing but good of the dead. Every once in a while, though, I make exceptions. Story today, Charles Manson. You know, they say, speak nothing but good of the dead. Charles Manson is dead good. <laughs> that's, that's, I, you know, I, I tell you, this man was evil, evil incarnate. And the frustrating thing to me is that after masterminding the killings of all those people and terrorizing this country back in 1969, that the reality is that he he essentially lived on for another, what, almost 38 years, 40 years at the expense of the taxpayers in California for people who do not believe in the death penalty. Uh, you know, well, let me put it like this, and I hate to be accused of being judgmental, but hell is a little bit more crowded today because Charles Manson, um, he's he has he's sitting at the right hand of Satan today. So, again, with the apologies to Mrs. Bonneman, Speak nothing but good of the dead. Sorry, there are exceptions to that. Charles Manson, dead at 83 and um, well, well deserved. As I was mentioning to Steve and Eric, went to the Packers game. This is going to be a Packers-free uh, zone. Had a, had a really good time yesterday. Um, my wife had never been to Lambeau Field, and I bought these tickets at an auction, and they were sixth row behind the Ravens bench. It was actually it – was, it was – Lambeau Field, I had not been up there in two years, so I hadn't seen all the new development. We had a great time, went to the Tailgate Village beforehand, went to Hinterland Brewery afterwards, went through Lodge Kohler. Uh, that was great. And The only problem was that, that, that three-hour game in the middle of it. And, and here, here is the bottom line, and I, as I was saying earlier, um, I, I'm a huge Packers fan. And, and sometimes, I mean, this is going to be a lost season. It, it's pretty apparent with that. And But the question was, could Brett Hundley play? And and no offense, but he, he can't. I mean, he plays quarterback like I played quarterback. And sitting in the sixth row, so you're really up close, and this is the closest I've ever been, it was just, I mean, it was just apparent. He was doing things that, you know, high school quarterbacks do, and you 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 can't do that in the NFL. And if he's been in the Packers system for three years and that's as good as he is, it tells you he's just not good enough. And that's a, a tough reality, but at least you learn it and you figure that, okay, whoever's going to be backing up Aaron Rodgers next year has got to be better. All right, let us get started. It is a Packers free zone beyond that. We uh, start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. Actually, I saw this Fox 6 actually had the, the report that caught my attention. I think a couple other TV stations might have reported it as well. Um, they had the the chief of Bayside. Now, I think if you, you're probably familiar with this area around here, Bayside is in northernmost Milwaukee County. It's a nice community um, right on the border between, again, Milwaukee County and, and Ozaki County. Bayside has had 10 police chases in the last month. And these are people that the police go to pull over who then take off. Um, the most recent one apparently happened Saturday morning. 
Saturday morning. When people are out and about doing their shopping and uh, taking their kids to soccer games or basketball games or volleyball practices or, or whatever, uh, what apparently happened is the police um, see somebody making a, a, a illegal U-turn, all right? No, no U-turn. So car makes this U-turn. The police sees it, sees this. They, they put on the bubble lights to pull the person over. And what happens is the driver of the, the vehicle, who's just made the illegal U-turn, um, takes off. Um, and the officer says this car, who just made an illegal U-turn, immediately accelerates to 90 miles an hour. 90 miles an hour. This is Saturday morning in Bayside. Now, the, the policy in Bayside is that they really only pursue if a violent felony occurs. And he said the, the officer starts to chase and then terminates, stops chasing after about a quarter of a mile. But what happens is the guy who is driving away is driving so fast that they lose control right at the area where Lake Drive and Brown Deer Road kind of merge. If you've taken Lake Drive all the way up to pretty much as far as it goes, and then it sort of turns off into Brown Deer Road. Apparently this car, driving 90 miles an hour, loses control, um, crashes into a streetlight in a 35-mile-per-hour zone. So he's going 90 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. The vehicle not able to negotiate the curve, and the driver loses control. All right, as soon as the car loses control, and I'm looking at pictures of it, it's it's mashed up pretty darn bad because it slams into this pole at 90 miles an hour. What happens is the guy who's behind the wheel um, gets gets out and starts running on foot. He is chased by the officer and ends up struggling with the officer. Um, turns out the guy's armed, so the guy's carrying a gun. The <clears throat> car, wait for it was, of course, stolen, which you can figure. So here you have a guy driving around Bayside Saturday morning, armed, um, in a stolen car. Police see him make an illegal turn, and then he takes off. Now, of course, this underscores something I've been talking about for a long time. When when uh, Ed Flynn had the silly policy in Milwaukee that you weren't allowed to chase unless you knew a violent felony had occurred, my point was always, well, that's that's dumb and overly restrictive because you don't know why it is that people run. And most times, this, the decision that people are making to flee police, it, it's not because they've got the taillight out or they've made the illegal U-turn. It's because... They're armed. The car is stolen. I don't know, but my guess is the guy is probably a felon. That would be my guess. Um, probably out on parole or extended supervision or something like that. But they end up, you know, taking off. Um, the police chief says we don't know how the guy got the firearm. But again, um, they, they talk about they've um, in the last year they've probably seen up to ten chases a month, and this is not an uncommon thing. I mean, in almost every community in our listening area, you know, the police chiefs or the police officers will tell you these stories. People routinely run. It happens on a daily, probably seven or eight, ten times a day in Milwaukee where people run. But also it is happening in the suburbs now. You have criminal, the criminal element that is spread, a lot of times spread from Milwaukee, and they're out there casing places. They're out there looking for other crimes to commit, and it's we're going to take off if the police chase us. Well, now more and more you have the police chasing and more and more this is the type of story the people crash the cars they try to run they get caught so what happens now i don't know about you 
But I am sick to death of people deciding that they can run from the police with impunity. One of the things that Ed Flynn said in defending his previous chase policy that always made sense, he said, well, here's part of the problem. You know, we have people that flee, we chase after them, we catch them, and nothing happens to them. If they're juveniles, i got a story about that a little bit later on. If they're juveniles, they just get slapped on the wrist and sent back out on the street to steal more cars. If they're adults and we catch them, there's almost never any consequences at all. And, and I will always concede the police chief had a point. Because if you're going to embark on a chase, if you're going to try to pull over these dangerous people who are running for a reason, once you catch them, there have to be consequences. Now, under the law right now, Fleeing from police is the lowest grade felony around. It is a class. Now, if somebody gets killed in the flight or somebody gets seriously injured, it goes up. But generally just what happened, for example, on Saturday, fleeing from the police at 90 miles an hour, racking up the car and running, not hurting anybody, that is what's called a class I felony. It is the lowest. It carries a maximum penalty of three and a half years in prison. But this is an important but. There's no mandatory minimum. You do not have to send, the judges do not have to send somebody to prison once they get caught eluding police. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if it would deter people from running in the future, but it would at least make the rest of us safer. I think it is way past time to implement a mandatory minimum prison term for people who run from the police. You flee in your car from the police when they try to make a stop. And again, you'd have to prove that people knew that the police were trying to stop them. But that's, you know, we're not talking about the person that drives two or three blocks before they realize the lights are on. You know what I mean. I mean the people that try to, they make the illegal U-turn, the bubble lights come on, you accelerate to 90 miles an hour. I mean the people like what happened Saturday morning in Bayside. Those, that guy should be in prison. And he should be in prison for a minimum of two years. Take the discretion away from the district attorney. Take the discretion away from the judge. No plea bargaining, no pass and go, no negotiating. You get convicted of this. You go to prison for at least two years. If you start doing that, I guess, number one, maybe the word will get out that, all right, there's consequences, and maybe people will think twice, but I don't care about that. I don't care. Maybe that word will get out. Maybe there'll be a deterrent value, but... I'm sick of these stories because more often than not, they end with somebody getting seriously hurt. We have to stop people from running from the cops. And the way you do it, I think, is to say if you do it, you are going to prison. You are not passing go. I would also make this one of those crimes where there is a presumption that if you are a juvenile and you do it, you be treated as an adult. 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1220. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is big story number one. I'm sick to death of people running, and it's happening all over. 1223, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, what, what set me off is it seems like on an almost daily basis I, I see one, two, three stories of these thieves 
drive it around, oftentimes with guns and stolen cars. The police go to pull them over, they take off, and, and they run. Well, the, the bottom line is, a lot of times what happens is even when the police catch them, and normally they catch them after they've slammed the car into something, uh, sometimes other vehicles, they get out and run, nothing happens to them. Judges slap them on the wrist if they're juveniles. Well, we're not even going to bother waving them to adult court here. We'll just treat them as juveniles. That's nonsense. Running from the police is a big deal, and I don't know that you need to increase the maximum penalty, but what you need to do, and this is a call to the legislature, mandatory minimum penalties. You flee from the police, you go to prison for two years, period. You are a juvenile driving a stolen car and you flee from the police. The presumption is you get waved into adult court. Let's start protecting the rest of us. Isn't it time? Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on your show. Yes, sir. Uh, to answer your question, I'm in. Uh, I'm with you 100 percent on that. Um, I guess the problem is is getting district attorney's offices to get on board with charging it out. Yep. Uh, the the problem is is you get what even if you continue the pursuit and you catch the offender, you get you send in the charges to the district attorney's office. Um, I would say it's 50-50 on they drop the charges mm-hmm. for whatever reasons they have. They don't want to take it to a trial, or they, they make a deal and the guy's on probation. Yeah, are, 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 Mike, let me ask you, are you a police officer in Milwaukee County? Uh, not more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But right. You've yeah. I mean, so right. That that's always the the problem. Even if you have a mandatory minimum sentence, and I think you've got a fair comment, you you send it to John Chisholm or whoever, and they decide. Well, yes, this is clearly fleeing. This is something that should happen. But then, for whatever reason, they decide not to charge it as fleeing. They'll just say reckless driving or whatever to avoid the mandatory minimum penalty. And, and that's always a problem when you've got a district attorney that isn't willing. To to charge what somebody really did. And I guess that's that's another step, and it's a very valid comment. But candidly, at least I think mandatory minimum penalties would be a start. And then when you have DAs that refuse to follow the law or apply the law, at least maybe next time they come up for election, somebody with guts will run against them. Right. Yes, I agree. Yeah. No, thanks. And that, that is one of the problems with mandatory minimum penalties. If you have you know, a tree hugger, you know, lefty district attorney like we have in Milwaukee County, who doesn't want to apply the law. They'll say, well, okay, I understand that this guy in Bayside made the illegal U-turn, driving the stolen car, drove and fled. Um, If I charge him and I convict him of fleeing, it's a two-year mandatory penalty. But I don't want the defense attorneys to not like me, and I don't want the judges to not like me because I've taken away their discretion. So instead of charging what the guy did, I'm going to... I'm going to charge it as reckless driving in, instead, so I avoid the mandatory minimum penalty. That is a flaw I acknowledge in what I'm talking about. But at least in that case, then you go to the district attorney, then you have a record saying, look at what this guy did. This was this case. This is how they charged or This is how they pled it out. Do we really want somebody doing this to be the district attorney? Um, that's the best I can do, I guess. Let's talk to Nick in Madison. Nick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think if there's one thing that Chief Flynn has taught us, it's that criminals learn and adapt their behavior. Yes. Right? So we go soft on them, and all of a sudden they learn, hey, we can just run for no reason. We can use cars as our drug houses, essentially. 
So now imagine what happens if we send the opposite message. Instead of saying we're not going to chase, nothing's going to happen, we say to the criminal behavior, to the criminals out there, we're going to chase every time, and when we catch you, you're going to go to prison, absolutely. I guarantee you that the deterrent effect for me is everything here. I guarantee you if we did that, the criminal element will adapt and learn just like they did when we went soft out. Yeah, in other words, and they would learn, okay, maybe we're not going to drive around in the stolen cars, or we're not going to run, or we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to use these cars as rolling drug houses like we did. Yeah, you you know, I, Nick, thanks for, I mean, I think you're, I mean, I, I agree. I think you are on to something, and your, your point is very well taken. It is adapt and, and learn. You know, back in 2010, when Ed Flynn implemented his no-chase policy that he's now been forced into doing away with, maybe it made sense. But, but again, you're right. It's adapt and learn. The criminals learned, hey, they're not going to chase us. So let's blow through red lights at 90 miles an hour. The cops aren't going to chase us. Let's use the, our cars as rolling drug houses, and we'll set up the deals using our cell phones. The cops aren't going to chase us when we flee. Yeah, that's, you know, mere car theft, that's not a violent felony. And so the, the bad guys learned, and as a result, you, you saw – you know, a thousand, however many chases you would have a year um, because the bad guys understood that the cops' hands were tied. So they did. They adapted and learned. I, I don't know if this is the ultimate solution, but I do know people running from the cops at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning in Bayside, smashing a car at 90 miles an hour and endangering anybody in that community who might have been in that area. It's time to say enough is enough. Mandatory minimum penalties. And if guys like John Chisholm don't have the stones to charge these thugs with what they have really done, well, that's exhibit A as to why guys like John Chisholm need to be retired. It's 1229. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just in time for the holidays, WTMJ.com is giving you a chance to win an authentic NFL game ball autographed by Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. Just log on to the WTMJ.com contest page. Listen for the special keyword in the podcast player. Fill out the entry form, and you could be our lucky winner. You can enter daily, but you've got to be 18 to take part. Official rules are up at WTMJ.com. All right, before we get to big story number two, I'm climbing back on my soapbox. As long as I'm worked up about fleeing and people getting away. All right, here's one of the other things. And if you're a regular listener of this program, you know I've been carrying on about this as well. The way we treat juveniles in Wisconsin is a joke. It is an embarrassment, and it would be funny if it were not so serious and disgraceful. Um, The juvenile law, the juvenile justice code, was essentially drawn up back at a time where people thought of juvenile crime as being eh, kind of what you'd see on Leave it to Beaver. You know, Wally and Lumpy and Eddie going out and, I don't know, throwing some toilet paper on the house of the principal. That is not the type of juveniles who are coming into the system by and large. You have, in many cases, people as young as 12 and 13 who are committing violent crimes or are just committing crime after crime after crime. We had that story not that long ago about a kid who, I think he was like 14 years old, gets arrested and his fingerprints come up in like 20 stolen cars and we send him back. We send him back into the system. Go back to mom and dad. Well, that's that is insane. And then, of course, you've got a lot of liberals, particularly in Milwaukee, who are upset with Lincoln Hills. Oh, we don't like the conditions at Lincoln Hills. Um, So we don't want to send these dangerous offenders there. So instead, let's send them back out on the street to commit more crimes. Well, to me. 
I think there's many insanities in the juvenile justice system. One of those is the fact that we protect these kids. If you have somebody who commits a serious crime or any sort of crime and they go through the juvenile justice system, their names are withheld from the public and you never see the disposition. You never see what happens to them. I mean, I get all these questions all the time. What? A, hey, Jeff, I, I saw that you had those those five kids with the gun and the stolen car who went on the 10, 20 mile an hour that the twenty mile police chase. They all got out and they ran. What 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 happened to them? And the answer is we don't know because they get stuck in the juvenile justice system. Their names are not made public. The juvenile judges who by and large slap them on the wrists and send them back out on the street to commit more crimes, they're not held accountable because you can never find out what happens. The only way you find out what happens is if they're waived into adult court. And as a matter of policy, for example, like I say, the DA's office under John Chisholm, if you've got a 15-year-old who's stealing cars, they're not waving them into adult court. They're not even going to try. So anyhow, this is the latest example. I have been a huge advocate. Anytime it is a felony, anytime the underlying conduct that would result in a delinquency finding is a felony, I think the name should be made public. I think that if you live in a neighborhood where you've got a 15-year-old who's out there breaking into houses or robbing people or stealing cars, and simply because the district attorney's office decides I'm not going to try to wave him into adult court, I think you should know. I think you're entitled to that. I think teachers are entitled to know if somebody in their classroom, for example, has just stuck a gun in somebody's face and stolen their car, but they've not been treated as an adult because, again, that's just the system. This idea of protecting these violent juveniles at the expense of the public is insulting, and the legislature needs to wake the you-know-what up. Here's the latest story. Got my attention Um, And today's TMJ4 had this. A 21-year-old Milwaukee man has been charged with carjacking and murder after he was in a stolen vehicle during a crash that killed his accomplice. This is last Wednesday on Chicago's north side. Um, NBC's Chicago reports D'Angelo M. Williams, 21, was charged with one felony count of aggravated vehicular hijacking with a firearm and a felony count of robbery with a firearm, two felony counts of murder while committing another forcible felonies. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of verbiage. Here's what these thugs did. Police say Williams and a 19-year-old man were wearing masks when they carjacked a guy at gunpoint Wednesday morning as the man was getting out of his vehicle. The two stole the vehicle, drove off as police pursued them. They ended up crashing. The 19-year-old man driving the stolen car was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, okay, uh, they haven't released his identity. Um, all right. Uh, Williams, the 21-year-old, in the Cook County Jail, held without bond. Okay, now you might say, Jeff, all right, so what? what's this connection to juvenile crime? I mean, why are we talking about this? He's 21 years old. Yeah, the, the guy's got it walking around the mask, sticks, sticks a gun in somebody's face, steals their car, they drive off, and they crash the car. The driver is killed. He kind of walks away from it. What does this have to do with juveniles? All right, here is the dazzling detail. This is, this is the way Channel 4 reports it. This is the second time... Williams has been charged with murder. All right? So he's 21 years old. This is the second time he's been charged with murder. In in 2012, five years ago, when he was 16, 
He was charged as an adult in the murder of a grocery store clerk in Milwaukee. His case was eventually sent back to juvenile court. This is what they call like a reverse waiver, where because of the nature of the crime, you're treated as an adult, you're charged as an adult, but then the judge, they decide they send it back to juvenile court. Those records are sealed. So here you have, now I pulled at least the public records on this, and it showed the charges against him as being, again, a form of murder and felon in possession. Now, I don't know where the felon in possession of a gun comes from. Couldn't tell. But nobody can tell because you don't know what happened to this guy. So he was charged with being involved in a murder at the age of 16. It was sent to juvenile court, and nobody knows what happened to this. We don't know if the charges were dismissed. We don't know if he was put on double secret probation. All we know is four or five years later, he's out and he's now responsible for another death as part of an armed carjacking. How is that justice? And I, I mean, I can't tell you whether or not what happened to him four or five years ago after the murder and he was sent back to juvenile court. I can't tell you whether that's appropriate or not, but nobody can because the records are sealed. We can't determine whether the judge did the right thing or the wrong thing. All we know is we have somebody who was dangerous, who we had a chance to lock up. We didn't do it, and now somebody else is dead. Now, in this case, the guy that's dead is his 19-year-old accomplice. So you hate to see anybody die. But I guess that's better than it being the victim or a police officer or, you know, somebody who just was, you know, an innocent passerby during this during the the chase. So if somebody's going to die, okay, at least that's kind of the life you choose. But regardless, why was this guy out on the street? Maybe it was appropriate. Maybe it was not. But we don't know because he was treated as a juvenile and you can't find out those records. Legislature, wake up. You've got to change the juvenile justice law. When people are accused of violent crimes, that should be public. At least if they are a judge delinquent of the violent crime, that information should be public. Why are we protecting the bad guys at the expense of everyone else? All right, big story number two is coming up. $225 million, $275 million for the convention center. Give me a break. Stick around. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner. 1247, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Senate ponders tax return reform, and Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson is right in the middle of it. Here his have his thoughts on the plan changed since last week. Gene Miller has the latest 651 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, be sure to check that out. Senator Johnson, a key figure. All right, here's the deal. The Convention Center downtown is part of the Wisconsin Center District. Um, its revenues are funded in large part by um, various taxes that they impose on people who go down there. It would be including talking about things like um, Milwaukee County hotel rooms, restaurant tabs, car rentals, things like that. So you know, taxpayers end up underwriting a cost of this. The convention center... Um, well, it's, it is small, um, and there has been this desire to try to enlarge it for quite a while. The estimated cost, so here, here's the deal. What they want to do is they want to expand the convention center to 300,000 square feet. Now, um, right now, 
266,000 square feet. That's the size of it with about 189,000 square feet of exhibit space. So what you'd be doing is you'd be talking about increasing it by slightly under a half. Now, okay, so let's let's round up. 190,000 square feet of exhibit space. By comparison, Cincinnati has 196,000 square feet of exhibit space, roughly equal. Columbus, Ohio, has 373,000. Minneapolis has 475,000. Indianapolis has 749,000. So um, Indianapolis in particular... Minneapolis, lots larger. Cincinnati, kind of comparable. Columbus, a little bit bigger. All right, so that's the deal. Now, part of the problem is to do this expansion, probably going to cost somewhere between 225 to 275 million dollars. The Wisconsin Center District is only able to borrow 200 million. So, um, by law, right now they're they're short of of what they want to do. Here is. Here's part, one of the things that caught my attention. They had one of these consultants that come in. And, and you, whenever you have these consultants that come in and they give you estimates of economic value, um, a lot of times the consultants, in my experience and opinion, are telling you what you want to hear, not what is reality. Remember years and years ago when we had the Great Circus Parade? It was a wonderful event. But like the organizers always came out with these crowd estimates that were absolutely ridiculous. They were just grossly inflated. And whenever you have studies about the economic impact of, say, an arena – they are almost always grossly inflated. It doesn't mean it's not worth doing. It's just that they're almost always grossly inflated. So they do this study, and here's what they say. They say, okay, if, if you took the convention center downtown from 190,000 square feet to 300,000, the number of events would expand from 111 to somewhere between 140 and 165. So if that 165 number is correct, essentially they're saying we could get twice, we could get 50% more events there. Hmm. They say attendance would increase from 269,000 to somewhere between 376,000 and 422,000. So the idea is you know, if we expanded it, if we spent this money, all these other conventions would start coming. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think this is ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I just don't know how to say it uh, otherwise. The, the reality is, Milwaukee is always going to be somewhat limited in the type of conventions that it is going to be able to compete with. For you know, we're not Las Vegas. We're not Los Angeles. We're not Dallas, Texas. We are um, you know going to be a medium-sized city in the Midwest. Um, I understand that Minneapolis has a larger convention center, but, you know, Minneapolis, well, Minneapolis also um, is, is a much bigger city. Indianapolis, that's how they've chosen to, they've really gone after conventions. They have two convention facilities with about 750,000 square feet. Well, nobody's talking about enlarging the convention center downtown to 750,000 square feet. What we're talking about is spending a couple hundred million dollars to make it, well, Larger than Cincinnati, but still not as big as Columbus. I, I guess two hundred to two hundred and seventy-five million dollars seems like a lot of money to me. More importantly, this estimate that says 
attendance would increase from 270,000 to somewhere between 376 to 422,000, and the number of events would increase by 50%. I just think it's ridiculous. I don't believe those numbers are accurate. I simply don't. If you had a larger venue, might it cause you to attract a couple larger conventions? You know, maybe. But really, that kind of increase, I just don't buy it. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we're always going to be, you know, what we, we are. We're not going to be able to compete with the Chicago's and the Minneapolis's of the world. And merely building a bigger facility you know, that then sits empty like the Milwaukee Theater sits empty day after day after day, doesn't seem to me to be the answer. 414-799-1620. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Tom. Okay, lost Tom there. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Big Story Number 2. 1256, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm sorry, I just think these numbers are hooey. You know, they're seriously talking about wanting to spend 200, 250, 275 million dollars to expand the convention center. And the question is, okay, what, what are we really going to get from that? We are a cold weather city. We're not a major visitor destination. And you have these consultants who are clearly are, are telling, you know, the board what they want to hear that, oh, you, you do this and, you know, this is going to generate, you know, uh, another, you know, um, this is going to generate millions and millions of, of added state and local revenue. This is going to bring, you know, 100,000, 150 more thousand people to town. I just don't buy it. I, I don't buy it. I think we're being sold a bill of goods. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't believe it. I don't care if you had a million square feet of exhibition space. No one's going to come to Detroit Lights. With the crime problem that you have in Milwaukee, and your, your, the subject we just had before this, what's your theme right. going to be? You come to Milwaukee and get carjacked by a teenager? <laughs> yeah. Right, who then's going to be, you know, back out on the street again. You know, and the truth is, I mean, this is back in the when we first built Miller Park. If you had built Miller Park downtown, you know, maybe that would have been a selling point. But Miller Park's not downtown. It's not within walking distance of, you know, the convention center. I know you're going to have the Bucks Arena downtown and that entertainment district. But, okay, is that going to be a draw that all of a sudden you're a convention planner and you say, hey, I'm going to go to Milwaukee in February? No, it's just... It's just not. I think what you will see is if you do this, you're going to see a very expensive white elephant. Well, yeah, and no one's scheduling their, their conventions in Milwaukee again for everything you've just outlined, between the weather and everything else, and they have to. I'm sorry. I grew up in Milwaukee the same time you did and moved out 40 years ago. Yeah. The crime has to be addressed. Well, that I mean, I think I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess I mean that that is a that is a factor, and I guess I'd love to see these consultants who come out with these numbers challenged. I mean, these are the same people that say, "Hey, you you put in Tom Barrett's trolley, and you're going to have you know all these people that are riding it, or you put in this high speed bus, the the bus rapid transit lane that knocks eight minutes off, and you're going to have all these people that are riding it." How many times do we have to be suckered into things? Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I uh, I think we don't have enough hotel space yep. for one. I think within a twenty-five mile radius or less of and that and what besides the restaurants and that and stuff downtown. What really is a draw? I mean, okay, that new Bucks Arena you're talking about, but 
what is the real draw? What what do we really need if we're going to spend another two hundred some million, half a billion dollars, or even a billion dollars on? Uh, well, well on, we're going to well. Thanks for call, Tom. I mean, we're 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 going to have the trolley. You know, we we will have the trolley. I I can see that here. I'm I'm a planner located in Orlando, Florida. I'm I'm going to have my convention. In in Milwaukee, um, because we've got the trolley, or or not. Big story number three is coming up. It's twelve fifty nine. Stick around. It's one hundred nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Drew, who's producing the program today. Is Ed Flynn as big a rube as he sounds? This is the Milwaukee police chief. Now, if people haven't been following the story, I'm at a little bit of a loss because Ed Flynn, chief of the Milwaukee Police Department, was apparently contacted by the, the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, and told that they wanted to do a documentary about crime in Milwaukee. All right? Um, and Flynn gave the BBC unprecedented access to crime scenes. He, he didn't just let the the guys, the, the 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 people with the BBC, go on ride-alongs. He let them, and it, it's something that they never do or rarely do. He let them go, you know, under the police tape. I mean, he gave them unprecedented access. Um, and I think a lot of people didn't know he was was doing this. So you have th- this documentary. So the documentary comes out. Now, I, I want to say at the beginning, I have not seen the documentary, so I'm at somewhat of a loss uh, to describe this, except I have read a number of the reviews. The reviews of the documentary, it does not portray Milwaukee in a very flattering light at, at all. It talks about, again, all the... The, the, the things that we talk about on a regular basis on this program. Why Ed Flynn thought, given all that's going on in the city, the spy, skyrocketing homicide rate and the shootings and the carjackings and the car thefts, why he thought giving access to the BBC was going to result in a favorable portrait of the city of Milwaukee. I, you you, you, you got to wonder. And, and I'm sure these producers are sitting there thinking they've got the ultimate hick. Here, uh, here, we're, don't, here Ed, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make the city look great. Oh, there's 140 homicides. Oh. So anyway, he gives them unprecedented access. The documentary comes out. And again, I'm at a loss because I haven't seen the whole thing. But it does not portray Milwaukee in a very positive light. All right. So aldermen of the Common Council are, are livid. And they're like, okay. Why now? Again, you you can make the argument that if if it's the truth, it's the truth. And again, I take no position. I haven't seen the documentary, but they're livid. Why why did you do this? I mean, why did you invite this on yourself by allowing them all this unprecedented access? And um, Flynn, um, his uh, letter, his approach apparently is well. Oh, 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 oh. I mean, I the film crew they told me that they would sensitively portray issues impacting the city. In other words, I thought oh, they told me they were going to sugarcoat this whole thing. I, I can you imagine? Then, then they they turned around and they messed me over. They 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 lied to me. They didn't portray this sensitively. They kind of looked at it like documentary crews always did. Um, they they told me that they would speak to local groups trying to curb violent crimes, and apparently they did. But those interviews didn't make the final cut. So, I I I, I listened to this, and and I guess I. 
Is he really as much of a rube as he sounds like? I, I mean, I, again, and, 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 you know, first of all, you can make the argument, and I haven't seen the documentary, so I don't have a position on whether it, it, it accurately portrays what is going on in the city or not. I, I don't know. Take no position on that. But, but, but this argument that Ed Flynn, well, I was lied to by the documentary filmmakers. Well, what, what a surprise that is. You've got the BBC that is coming to a crime-plagued city, and you somehow think that you're going to necessarily get a sympathetic portrayal? Well, they told me they do these interviews, too, and then it didn't make it on the cutting room floor. I mean, th- these BBC producers just must be laughing their butts off that, you know, you would have a police chief that could be duped, and that's the only word, a- a- as-, as easily as this. And again, I-, I don't know if it's a fair documentary or not. That's a whole different story. But this idea that, oh, we were fooled. I mean, they, they-, they lied to us. They told us it was going to be a sensitive documentary, and then, then it turned out that, um, gee, it's not sensitive. They're ripping us, and they're ripping the city. Oh, I really regret that I gave them all this unprecedented access. Well, you know, that that's... That that is, of course, the problem when you decide that you're going to, you know, open yourselves up. That would be like saying, "Gee, the people who did that Netflix thing, making the murderer, you know, we we got all this access to the, you know, the prosecutor's records, and we turned on them." I mean, again, it's, I, I just, I, you just kind of wonder what what that is, and you know, why you would have agreed to this in in the first place. But for the police chief to suggest. Well, I was as surprised as anybody. I mean, they, 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 they lied to me. They promised me they would do one thing and then they do the other. These are documentary filmmakers for the BBC. Of course they're going to come in with their own sort of agenda. Maybe you thought you could shape it and mold it and convince them that you're really on top of crime and you failed miserably in that regard. But this is one where to blame the producers and say, well, they kind of lied to me. I mean, seriously. I mean, be careful. Tuck your shoulder when you ca- fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt anything. I mean, I, I, I it, it, again, it just is, it kind of is what it is. But I'm, well, I'm shocked. I, they, they, they lied to me. I, I would have never granted them all this access if I knew that they were going to do the kind of documentary they end up doing. Well, what do you think? For goodness sakes, they're members of the media. How can you trust them? I mean, they're documentary filmmakers for the BBC. You trusted them. You screwed up, I guess. All right, big story number three, the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, breaking news I, today, I think they just made this decision today. Um, you know, Keystone, the Keystone 40 Pipeline, which is the, that's been the very, very controversial pipeline that there's been all the, all the talk about, which, you know, is designed to, um, you know, bring crude oil from Alberta, Canada, um, to refineries on the Texas Gulf Coast. Um, this is a, an $8 billion pipeline, and the controversy has been, you know, where are you going to route this? Um, today, Nebraska approved um, allowing the Keystone uh, 40 pipeline to be built. Now, what they did is they moved it. It wasn't the preferred location for uh, trans for the for the company, um, Trans Canada. They, they made a move the pipeline away from um, some of these the, some of the state's most ecologically delicate areas, and that's going to add costs. But the bottom line is they've signed off on the pipeline. Nebraska has. It's going to carry 830,000 barrels of crude oil a, a day. So it's a it's it's a big deal. Now again, TransCanada might not like it because they're making them kind of reroute it, but they've approved the pipeline. All right, I bring this up because on Thursday, 
one of the the other pipelines that they run. Now, this is a different pipeline, okay? Same company, different pipeline that runs across South Dakota, apparently had had a leak. And what they say is about 5,000 barrels of oil, or about 210,000 gallons, um, leaked onto a, a field in a remote, and lots of South Dakota is remote, but in a remote northeast part of the state, I mean, they had a, they had a leak, 5,000 barrels, about 210,000 uh, gallons um, leaked. The leak was detected at 6 a.m. local time on Thursday. The pipeline was immediately shut down. They rushed out people to do the repairs, but it, it did. It did have a leak, and and you can see there. There's an area. I mean, 210,000 gallons of oil of crude oil is a lot of oil that that spilled. They were able to catch it relatively quickly. I think very quickly, and they were able to seal it off. But but nevertheless, um, you know, it's 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 a problem when you have this happen. And it is true that whenever you're going to Whenever you're going to do stuff like this, there's always the potential that somebody can cut the electrical cable. There's the potential that something can happen to the pipeline and a leak can spring. There's the potential that uh, somebody driving that tanker truck full of oil can run a red light or the driver can fall asleep and the thing can tip over and you can have the oil spill. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe, and there are a lot of the environmental activists were saying, look, this is what happens with these pipelines. We've got this one. There was a leak last Thursday. That means we should shut down this other pipeline. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The truth is, as long as we drive internal combustion engine cars, as long as some of us rely on oil for our, our heating needs, you're going to have to figure out a way to transport oil from one location to another. And that always involves at least the potential that there's going to be something bad that happens. The question is, you know, is it an unreasonable risk? 414-799-1620. Sorry there was this oil leak. There's no question about it. It's a big deal. You need to go in. You need to clean it up. They caught it quickly. And I don't think that that is a basis for saying, okay, we're going to shut down this pipeline company, because the truth is, you know, pipelines can leak. You know, you can have a house, you can, you know, a water pipe at your house, you know, you can maintain it, you can watch it, and all of a sudden something can happen and it can burst. That doesn't mean that we're not going to allow you to have water in your house because a hot water pipe can burst and your basement can flood. 414-799-1620. Should we be shutting down these pipelines because there is probably inevitably going to be the occasional spill we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 119 this is jeff wagner wtmj it's 122 jeff wagner wtmj after seeing their winning streak snapped saturday night they really bucks did throw in a clunker i was watching some of that game Oof. um of course, it wasn't Packers bad, but it was a clunker nonetheless. The Bucks are back at it tonight at the BMO Harris Bradley Center, taking on the Washington Wizards, who are a very good team. Ted and Dennis begin our Buckshots coverage at 640 here on WTMJ. You know, we're talking about this this pipeline, and, and what happened is Nebraska today, as a matter of fact, uh, approved a, another pipeline, Keystone Pipeline, run by TransCanada, the company that, um, and this is controversial, 
but they, they want to bring uh, again crude oil from the, these tar sands fields in in Alberta, Canada, down to the Gulf. You have to transport the, this somehow, and they had the, another pipeline. It's not this pipeline, but it's another one run by the same company. Had an oil spill on Thursday, um, in a remote part of South Dakota. They caught it. They stopped it. There doesn't appear to be like any groundwater contamination or whatever, but there was a spill. So you've got the opponents who are out there saying, oh, this, this means it's just too dangerous. We, we can't do this stuff. And, and to people like that, I, I just always want to say, just look around, look around your house and, and just think about, think about what is in your house now that wasn't in your house 20 years ago. And my guess is you're going to have big screen TVs, you're going to have computer monitors, you're going to have iPads, you're going to have a lot of these electronic devices. And the electronic devices run on power. That power has to be generated from somewhere. Now, it's not necessarily going to be oil, but it's going to be electricity. That power has to come from somewhere. The, the this idea that people think that, gee, the gasoline that powers my car, it, it comes from, you know, the pump at the gas station. Well, yeah, that's the end delivery system. But, you know, you, you extract the crude oil, you know, you transfer it to where it gets processed and refined and turned into gasoline, and then it, it comes back. And it has to travel somewhere. It's not like you snap your fingers and this is this magic thing and suddenly how it appears. And there's always going to be a degree of risk unless we're willing to give up cars. And I understand Sam tongue-in-cheek sends me a text saying, well, we, we don't need crude oil anymore. We're, we're all going to be driving electric cars. Well, okay, that, that's true, but the electric cars have to be powered somehow anyways. That's going to be like the natural gas and things like that. You know, you, you've got to get... That the stuff that ultimately generates the energy, you have to figure out ways to transport it. And the, the truth of the matter is you can bring stuff in trucks, and there's always that risk. There's always the risk that the tanker carrying all the fuel can flip over um, going through the market interchange, and you can have the oil spill. There, there's always that risk that's there. The question is, what is an unreasonable risk? And I guess my point all along has been all, all these people that are out there just saying, no, 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 we can't do this stuff. We can't take this risk. We can't take, you know, that risk. Now, give me a break. And, I mean, I have a text here. Um, generally speaking, pipelines are the safest way to move oil. Um, yeah. Now, there might be some exceptions to that, but as a general rule, they're the safest. Does that mean it's foolproof? Does that mean it's infallible? No, of course not. Nothing nothing is infallible in that regard. The question is one of a cost-benefit analysis. So for everybody out there who says, well, we, we don't want to have these pipelines, explain to me what really is the better way of trying to get the oil from one place to the other. And they don't have an answer to that. It's just, well, we don't like the pipelines, um, but we don't like the trucks either. Well, bottom line is we're not ready you know, we're not ready, I think, to give up driving in our cars or for the people who don't like the natural gas. We're not ready to stop heating our homes or only heat our homes with, I don't know, wood-burning fireplaces because that pollutes the environment as well. No problem, at least in my opinion, there should be no problem with this Keystone Pipeline proceeding. It's 126. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 136. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us after their first home shutout in over a decade. What does Mike McCarthy have to say about Brett Huntley and his team's performance against Baltimore? Hmm. 
I was at that game. Gru, you were at that game as well. Hmm. Hear from the coach as he goes one-on-one with Larry McCarron today at 4.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, I promise this was going to be a Packers free zone, so I will just defer to what I said at the very start of the show and kind of just move on, including to, like, the, the next season. There is next season. Next season's always going to roll around. All right. Um, five Democrats... Uh, th- these are people who are elected to Congress, have introduced articles of impeachment against President Trump. I, I want to share, and there's a big piece in in USA Today. They've written an opinion piece as to why they think impeachment is uh, appropriate. The five Democrats are, um, let me see, Steve Cohen of Tennessee, Luis Gutierrez of Illinois, Al Green of Texas, Marsha Fudge of Ohio, and um, another Democrat from New York. Here's here's what they write. This is their opinion piece in USA Today. I will read a portion of it to you to give you kind of the, the flavor of it. Trump impeachment. House must act now to keep our republic. There are many uncontested facts that suggest Trump is an extraordinary threat To our democracy and constitutional order, we see no reason for delay. Again, these are these five representatives. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. The House Judiciary Committee, when it considered articles of impeachment against former President Richard Nixon in 1974, addressed the question of what constitutes a high crime or misdemeanor. Such impeachable offenses need not be limited to criminal acts, a staff report concluded, but should include constitutional wrongs that subvert the structure of government or undermine the integrity of the office and even the Constitution itself, and thus are high offenses. That's going to be somewhat controversial, but I digress. Several of President Trump's actions since taking office meet this standard. They were not simply inappropriate or wrong. They threatened to undermine our fundamental constitutional structure, our national security, and our democracy. In light of this, we have introduced five articles of impeachment against Trump and called for immediate impeachment hearings. The articles address a range of Trump's actions, from obstruction of justice and violation of the Constitution's foreign and domestic emoluments clauses to undermining the independence of the federal judiciary and the freedom of the press. We recognize that several investigations are ongoing, including one led by special counsel Robert Mueller into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and possible collusion with the Trump campaign. We support a continuation of these efforts to ensure complete transparency and accountability. Sufficient facts, however, already exist in the public record to warrant the start of impeachment proceedings in Congress. Given the magnitude of the constitutional crisis engendered by Trump's actions, we see no reason to delay. For example, with and then they go into it. For example, with regard to the obstruction of justice, we already know that Trump fired former FBI Director James Comey while the Bureau was investigating potential collusion between the Russian and Trump campaigns. So that's one of the things. He fired Comey. Similarly, uncontroverted facts support the charge that the president has violated the foreign and domestic emoluments clauses. Unlike those of his modern predecessors, Trump has refused to release his tax returns or divest his assets or place them into a blind trust. As a result, foreign governments and even the United States government have spent thousands of dollars at Trump-branded properties in which Trump continues to have an ownership interest. Um, 
There is also a well-established record of Trump's actions that undermine the independence of the federal judiciary and the freedom of the press. For example, he pardoned Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Is it Arpaio? Arpaio, right, Arpaio, for criminal contempt. Um, In his tweet criticizing a so-called judge who had overturned his executive order banning refugees from certain Muslim-majority nations, he criticized the judge. Um, There's also a public record that the president circulated a video of himself violently wrestling a man covered by a CNN logo. Many more facts support the president's impeachment. So they're arguing he should be impeached because he pardoned the sheriff and he made fun of CNN and criticized a judge, etc., etc. Um, it's time for the House to rise to the challenge and begin an impeachment inquiry. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that President Trump is controversial, and I understand that there are people who do not like him. I understand that just like, for example, with Scott Walker, you have a a Trump derangement syndrome that kind of goes to extremes. And I understand that President Trump, in many respects, is his own worst enemy with his refusal to stay off Twitter and concentrate on public policy. That being said, this idea that there is a basis to impeach him it is not only far-fetched and ridiculous, but it is so scary to me that you have members of Congress who take their responsibilities so lightly that they would go down this route. I mean, you're going to impeach President Trump. Let me get this straight. You're going to impeach President Trump because he, he pardoned somebody. You're going to impeach him because he forwarded a, a tweet um, showing, you know, somebody wrestling a guy covered by a CNN logo. You're going to impeach him because he criticized a federal judge. You're going to impeach him because he refused to release his tax returns. Now, again, maybe, maybe this whole Russian investigation, I continue to believe it's going to be a nothing burger, but maybe somewhere along the line you're going to find that smoking gun showing that there was active collusion with Russia in order to get him elected. I don't believe that that's going to be the case. Um, but, I mean, maybe maybe there'll be evidence to say to show that, but don't you have to wait for the evidence? I think this is just absolutely ridiculous. Now, I understand that there's going to be Democrats who will run for Congress in 2018 on a basis of, if you elect me, I will sign on to impeach President Trump. I don't think there is a basis to impeach President Trump, and I think this is a a scary, scary way to start. There isn't a basis at this point in time to impeach him, and I think that people who throw around these terms need to... um, really rethink whether they are serving their constituents and whether they are complying with their oaths of office. 414-799-1620. Okay, is there a basis to begin impeachment proceedings against President Trump, or is this just a real abuse of authority by these Congress people in a really kind of brazen attempt for a headline grab? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. I Look, love him, hate him, have no opinion on him. There is not, in my opinion, a basis to impeach President Trump at this point in time, and everybody should know it. All right, we discuss next. It's 144. 
147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I read you a, a portion of the opinion piece that's in USA Today by these five Democrats who've introduced articles of impeachment against President Trump. Now, obviously, that's not going to be going anywhere as long as Republicans control the House of Representatives. But even if it wasn't, it, it shouldn't go anywhere. Impeachment is a, a drastic situation. And I understand you, you introduce articles of impeachment against, you know, Richard Nixon, um, who, I mean, I think there's lots of evidence to believe committed various crimes in connection with obstruction of justice. What's their beef with Donald Trump? Well, um, you know, he's criticized judges who, you know, ruled against him. Or he's, I don't know, he's um, one of these people who he hasn't disclosed his tax returns. Okay, really? You're going to impeach somebody because of that? Ted in Menominee Falls. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Ted. Yeah. Hi, Ted. Hi, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Well, first of all, to me, it's just a double standard in the fact that uh, the previous president committed um, claims against the Fourth Amendment, and he even reported it directly to Congress, and yet nothing was ever done about it. And in particular, this Russian thing, it all came about was because he had NSA eavesdropping on telephone conversations, Mm -hmm. even though he knew that really there was no issue with it. He let release the information to certain people so as to cause problems. And, you know, it, I, I just I, I wish the Democrats and Republicans alike would put their bickering amongst themselves over President Trump and get down and do things that are proper for the people of this country. Right, like, like figuring out how we're going, I mean, Obamacare is cratering, like figuring out how we're going to fix a, a health care system that is fundamentally flawed. Now, Ted, I, 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 I'm with you. It's this, this is the type of thing which I think drives average people absolutely nuts about politics. Look, I, I, I understand what is going on here. What you have is you have a certain deranged wing of the Democrats. And, and by the way, by the way, there were, you know, there, there was Obama derangement syndrome as well. I get that. All right. I understand that. But now what you have is you have this deranged segment of, of the Democratic Party, the, pretty much the far left, who has decided this is, this is going to be our red meat. People don't like Donald Trump. His still his poll numbers are underwater. And here's what we can do. We can, by standing up to Trump, by being part of the resistance, quote unquote the resistance, what we can end up doing is we can we can use this not to succeed, but we can use it to divide. We can use it to try to raise money. Here, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna send out these fundraising appeals. Here, you know, give us give us money so we can help try to remove President Trump. Was I frequently say elections have consequences. You know, and, and one of the consequences of the people choosing choosing through the Electoral College Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton is that Trump gets to be the president. I mean, he gets to be the president. Now, if people don't like the job he's doing, they get to vote him out if he runs again three years from now. They get to express their displeasure against other Republican candidates at the polls you know, next year during the midterm elections. And that may very well happen. It's way too early to tell that. But this idea that we're going to impeach him, I mean, seriously, that we're going to use what is the, the, the Constitution's nuclear weapon because he refuses to disclose his tax returns or because, you know, he pardoned the, this judge. I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, Bill Clinton pardoned fugitive financiers on the way out of office. 
mean, if you want to look at abuses of the pardon power, I, Bill Clinton would be exhibit number one. Barack Obama would be exhibit number two. But but again, that those that's not the type of stuff we talk about as being an impeachable offense. It is something that is within the discretion of the president. Again, I understand that people don't like President Trump, just like there's a lot of people that love President Trump. And I understand that there's parts of his personality that put people off. And I also understand that you've got these ongoing investigations and maybe somewhere, somehow, they will turn up a smoking gun that indicates that he has committed a crime or a misdemeanor. But pardoning a controversial Arizona sheriff or refusing to release your tax returns or making fun of CNN, that's not an impeachable offense. And to even talk about it, to even talk about it is a distraction that takes us away from, again, dealing with the big issues that we have. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes, I want to have a, I want to have an honest conversation about this whole issue of bullying. There's the story from my old middle school about the kid who committed suicide. Also, uh, down in Racine, there's an effort to try to hold parents accountable. I want to have a, an honest and hopefully upfront conversation about bullying. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. So stick around. It's 152. This Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. For everybody who thinks that that Donald Trump is a giant jerk, what you need to do is you need to understand who, what uh, really constitutes being a giant jerk. And and I think that the poster child would be this this LeVar Ball. Now, Gru, do you know who he is? LeVar Ball is the father of these three basketball players, Lonzo Ball, who was second pick in the NBA draft, who's having, with the exception of the game he played against the Bucks, he's having a really rocky uh, season. I mean, he, he and, and the dad is one of these, like, stage parents who talks about, this kid's going to be better than Michael Jordan or everything, and he might be, but, but so far he's been off to a very, very disappointing start. Uh, the second son is called is named Leangelo Ball, and he's a freshman at, at UCLA. And then there's a, a third kid who's playing. I think the dad, as I recall, pulled him out of high school, and now he's like playing, like being homeschooled and, and playing on like the, the dad's AAU team or something like that. But the, the dad is the ultimate stage parent who's the one jumping up and down and giving the interviews and stuff. Oh, this, you know, the, the oldest son, he put a lot of pressure on the oldest son because he's, you know, he's talked about how great he is. And, you know, these NBA players, they're like, well, okay, we don't like being told how great this kid is before he's played a couple games. And what they've done, they've concentrated on him and they pretty much shut him down. So anyhow, the second kid, the guy, that, the kid that plays for UCLA, LaAngelo Ball, he's, UCLA is playing a game in China and the kid, together with two of his teammates, goes into a Louis Vuitton store and they steal, I think it was sunglasses that they stole. All right, China does not view shoplifting, perhaps the same way John Chisholm in Milwaukee County would view shoplifting. Matter of fact, China thinks it's a pretty big deal. So these three basketball players get get thrown in the huskow. And China ain't going to let them leave. <laughs> That's their, their, you know, did you ever see Midnight Express? I mean, you know, they're in, now that wasn't a Chinese jail, but I mean, they're, 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 they're there in China. And China's not letting them leave. UCLA flies back to the West Coast. The team leaves them there and they're, they're trying to figure out how to get them out. So last week, Donald Trump is meeting with the Chinese premier. And apparently it's uncontroverted that, that Trump 
rightly or wrongly, spends part of the meeting lobbying for the release of these three basketball players. And based, I think, in part on the president's personal intervention in this matter, China releases these three kids and they send them back and now they've been suspended. Okay, so... You know, the the kids come back, and to their credit, they thank President Trump for intervening because I think they were looking at being in a Chinese jail, and they figured, hey, this is a lot better. You know, we're suspended from UCLA, but it's a lot better to be in L.A. enjoying the sunshine than it is to be stuck in China, you know, looking at five to ten years in prison for stealing sunglasses. So they come back. They have a press conference. They say the right things. They thank the president. President Trump actually got some criticism for even going to bat for these kids. The argument was, why are you spending time with these people, you know, just concentrate on the more important things. So anyhow, this this LeVar Ball, the father from you know where, he he comes out and he starts attacking Trump. He's like, well, um, you know, I, I don't, what, what's this big, what's the big deal about this? So Trump didn't do anything to get my kids out, and apparently Trump did. Um, and so after the dad being kind of ungrateful, President Trump, he can't let anything go. Now, this is what his tweet says, now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, the LeVar Ball, the father of Langelo, is unaccepting of what I did for his son and says that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail. Um, shoplifting is a very big deal in China, and it should be five to ten years in jail, but not to Father Lavar. Should have gotten his son out during my next trip to China instead. China told them why they were released. Very ungrateful. It is. It is ungrateful. And so for everybody who thinks that President Trump is a jerk, okay, I can understand where some of that comes from. But if you really want to see the big jerk, it is, again, it's this LeVar Ball who every time he opens his mouth makes it more difficult for his kids. And I think President Trump in this case has a, has a point. Gee, um, I could have left those kids. I could have waited till like next time I go back to China and they would have still been in jail. Sometimes you just want to say thank you. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about bullying in Glendale. Stick around. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 2 eight. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Let's have a very difficult conversation. I um, This is my old middle school. I went to, I guess the emphasis is old. I went to Glen Hills Middle School in Glendale the first year it opened up. It was, I, I just, it, I was, I was in a different school like, like every year, not, and without moving house. It was, I, I went to fifth and sixth grade at the old Green Tree Elementary on Port Washington Road that is now sort of an aging hotel. That, that school is long gone. Then I went to seventh grade. I went to Riverview Middle School, which is now, um, for a while it was like, it's, it's a scene where the, like the Hilton Hotel is down on the river there. Um, so that was seventh grade. Then they closed that. Then in eighth grade, I, I went to Glen Hills Middle School, and then I went to uh, Nicolet. So Glen Hills Middle School goes back to, I think, 1970s when it first opened up. <clears throat> um, that makes me feel a little bit old. The story last week was about how a seventh grade student at Glen Hills uh, killed himself. Um, and it was a kid who had just enrolled. Apparently, what had happened is the family moved from northern Ohio here. Um, he had just enrolled at Glen Hills this year. So he'd only been at Glen Hills for a couple months. Um, apparently, the, the young man had been bullied for years, at least according to the suicide that 
note that he he left. Um, the the school district is is investigating. Apparently, there's a there's a social media screenshot that they've seen that they concede was mean and highly inappropriate. Um, dated a couple weeks ago, um, and that the screenshot says, "I hope you die." Okay, that that that's what it it says. Um, the school has a policy that defines bullying as being requiring a power differential between the bully and the, the victim. So I, the, the, the simple idea that you have you know two kids that are going to say nasty things to each other doesn't seem to me to fit necessarily within the, the definition of, of bullying. Um, the superintendent and the principal there said they don't think Glen Hills have problems that are worse than any of the other schools. And then they're also saying, look, you know, when it when it comes to bullying in the first place, it's the parents' job, not the schools, to police their children's social media accounts. What they say is what goes on outside of here is not something we can police unless it's a direct threat to the school. We need you to monitor your child's social media accounts. If your child is sleeping with their phone in their room, you know, that's that's a problem. And then I guess there's some issues here as to whether um, kids reported to Glen Hills officials that the this child was talking about suicide or not. They, they apparently deny it. But it's a horrible situation. You know, you have a seventh grader that's taken his own life, and, and that's appalling. The school district is saying, well, look, there, there's just limits on what it is that that we can do, especially when it's this stuff that goes on, you know, outside of of school, where you have these interactions with kids. Now, the twist on this is down in Racine, there is a proposed ordinance which would allow authorities to issue tickets to parents of of people who kids who are engaged in in bullying. The ordinance would say if a child is caught bullying, whether in person or online, the parents are required to work with the child to correct the behavior within 90 days. If after 90 days the child is caught bullying again, the parents could, in fact, you know, be ticketed. So this would be a way of authorities trying to you know, deal with bullying. All right, 414. 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Of course, the other difficult issue with this is what, what constitutes bullying, and, and and how far does that go? I mean, if you have, not everybody likes each other. So if you have two kids that just don't like each other, and in any, you talk to any woman, and yeah, I actually, I honestly believe. And feel free to argue with me about this. I believe girls are worse than boys. You know that movie, Mean Girls? I mean, I, I think, you know, the stories I hear, guys, you know, people say bad things to each other, and then, then you kind of push each other. You go play basketball, and you get over it. Um, as a general rule, women, I girls in, in high school, I think, and in grade school, based on things I've been told, it tends to be a lot worse because you've got the cliques and you've got the mean girls. Somebody was just telling me a story yesterday about, this horrible things that some of these women, some of these teenage girls did to their daughter. It's it just it's a kind of almost mind boggling. So, I mean, I think girls are worse than boys in many respects. Bullying is a big deal. Now, obviously, there's some people that are going to be able to handle this, you know, better, better than others. But I guess the fundamental question that I'd like to start with is this issue of 
what do we do? Is it the parent's responsibility primarily? And if you have a child who is acting as a bully, is it fair to start holding the parents accountable? In other words, saying, hey, you know, we think your child's been involved in uh, bullying somebody on social media uh, and however you want to define bullying. And and here, you're going to get a ticket. Do we need to go after the parents, including bringing the power of the law against them to stop bullying? And is this like pornography that you know bullying when you see it? What what exactly is is bullying? Is there a fear that this could go too far and we could start our own sort of witch hunts with you know what is really normal child interaction, the fact that not everybody's gonna like each other? I mean, is this does this have the potential to go too far? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. And believe me, I understand that, that bullying can be something that can have a lifetime effect on people. And it's obviously something that needs to be identified and dealt with. But does it start with the parents? Does it start with the school system? Do we need to start finding parents if their kids act out in this fashion? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. 414-799-1620. Should we be ticketing parents of bullies? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 217. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Okay, let me be real clear here. I I think bullying is is a huge issue, um, and and I think parents need to be more aware of it and concerned about it. I I think the point of of knowing what your kid is doing on social media is important, and I think there's limitations to what a school can do. I think um, schools need to be more aware of what goes on 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 school grounds. Because I think, you know, especially where you have some of the cliques that develop and you have some of the mean girls or mean boys that decide they want to pick on somebody because they're a little bit different. I, I think people need to be aware of that. <sighs> Giving a ticket to the parents of, of a bully, though, seems to me to be completely useless. I, I mean, it, it, it just does. I, I think... Um, obviously, you want to discourage it. You know, parents want to be aware of it. You want to be able to confront. You want to teach kids how to confront the bullies. And to the extent people are bullying, you know, and it's going on in schools, you want the teachers and you want the school to deal with that. And again, do whatever you can to try to ostracize the bully or to get it to stop. You know, giving somebody a fifty or seventy dollar ticket, though, parents, I, I think, I, I think bullying is hard to describe. I don't think it's a basis for the legal system. I think it's something that the parents have to deal with, and to an extent, the school system has to deal with. Four one four. Let's talk to Vicky in Dousman. Vicky, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I don't think parents should be ticketed. I think there there should be a consequence for these kids, and it they should feel the consequence. I mean, something they're really going to hate, like uh, take the cell phone away. That's what cell phones are good for with young people. Is great leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I guess it's individual. You know your kids. You know what they like. You know what they don't like, and make them feel it. You know, with whatever. Whatever you can do, if it's make them do something they hate or take away something right. they love, but make them right. feel it. Um, and, and I think from the perspective of, of the child that's being bullied, I, I think 
the parents need to be more mindful of that as well. I mean, I think parents, you, you, I mean, this is the danger of social media. And I, and I do think that they, the, the superintendent out in Glen Hill, Glendale makes a, a good point. I mean, it, it does start with mom and dad. It starts with mom and dad, uh, again, in, in a general sort of sense, not talking about the, the unfortunate child who killed himself, but, but the, the whole situation. You've got to monitor what your kids are, are doing on their social media accounts. If you think it's appropriate you know, to give your 10-year-old you know, access to you know, Facebook or whatever and give them the phones, you've got to realize that sometimes the, these kids, whether they're 10 or 11 or 12, don't really have the maturity to deal with some of this stuff. So you have to look at it. You have to see what they're posting. You have to watch that. It's just, I think that that's one of the ways you deal with this whole thing. I agree. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. The parents need to know, and I guess the schools need to be mindful of what's going on oh, yeah. in the schools. Also, I mean, I don't call the school when my kids don't take my garbage out. And vice versa for the school when something's going on there. I mean, they need to keep me informed or do something there on the spot. You know, it's um, it's every it's it's permeating and yeah. it's become a big issue. And everybody needs to be mindful. Well, right, because I mean, thanks. And look, here, here's the deal: bullying has always gone on. You know, we I, I remember when I was, you know, in middle school or in grade school, you, you had you had the bullies. Now, the, the best satisfaction is most of those kids who were bullies didn't go on to do very well in later life. I'm not saying it's necessarily that that's a guarantee, but, you know, living well really in some res- some people say the best revenge is revenge. I think living well really is the best revenge. But, I mean, there, there were some bullies, and in general, they, they kind of – you know, life didn't work out too very well for them. But, but you know, there was always that was bullying that was going on. What's changed over the years is now with the advent of social media, you, you can bully someone 24-7. And I, I do think it, it's why parents need to be mindful of this type of stuff because you can really make people's lives miserable. And people who were bullied extensively as kids, there, my guess is there's emotional scars that continue to this day. It, it's not always that extreme. So people have to be paying attention to that. There are, however, I, I just think, I, I think there's limitations as to what you can expect, for example, a, a school to be able to do. Now, if it's true that you had, and, and again, Glenn Hills denies this, but if it's true that you had kids who went to teachers and say, hey, you know, this particular student or that student's, you know, talking about killing themselves or whatever, I I think at that point in time, you know, there needs to be, if that happens, whether it's at Glen Hills or anywhere, that that's at what point in time that, you know, you need to get mental health professionals involved and you might need to get the police involved and you certainly need to get parents involved if you know that, which, uh, again, this particular case, it uh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, I don't know. Russ in Milwaukee. Russ, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hi, Russ. Uh, I missed the first part where the, you know, the screener advised me that the ki- uh, child killed himself. Yeah. I did not uh, hear that part of it. Yeah. Um, as for the bullying aspect, that's how we grew up. People have to learn to, you know, I won't say toughen up, but they have to be able to live in society today where things don't go perfect for you all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, as for the kids that were doing this, telling him to kill himself, uh, the police could knock on the door of the parents and, and talk to them and say, your kid's telling somebody to kill himself. You could probably stretch a disorderly conduct charge out of it, but I don't see any district attorney or any, any uh, you know, a court official charging that out. 
I can't see that happening. Well, of course, the, and the problem with that is what what is exactly bullying? Is it exactly. uh, right? And in your case, it, right? You're you're talking right, okay. Kill yourself, kill yourself. The world will be better. Okay, well, th- that's maybe one thing. But then, what what about? Oh, you're ugly, or you're fat, or you're skinny, or you know what? Where where do you end up drawing the line? Now, thanks to the call. And I guess see, and I, I I mean, I wrestle with this because. First of all, we, we need to be more mindful of that. And, I mean, I understand the kind of toughen up thing. But, look, the, the truth is there's some really hateful people out there. And, you know, they, they make, you know, people's, young people's lives hell. And there's no reason that that sh- – we need to be sensitive to that. There, there's no reason that people, even of normal sensibilities, need to be scarred because, you know, you've got the, the mean girls click or the mean guys click or, or whatever that are end up making their lives miserable. I mean, we need to be mindful of how to deal with that. I'm just – I guess I, I think that it's – it's something that the parents need to deal with. It's something the schools need to deal with. I, I, I'm just not convinced at all that you could write an ordinance that would, you know, really make a difference in this regard, you know, unless it crosses the line into a real crime. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim and Brown Deer. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, I want to give you just a little bit of a different slant here. Sure. First of all, the, the kid... The, the, the young man that killed himself is just horrible. I mean, yeah. it's just the, the pain that those parents are going to go through is unspeakable. But I want to talk about the bullies. You know, they're making these decisions when they're kids to, to do this stuff, and now they're going to have this on their conscience when they get older in their 20s and 30s and 40s, knowing that they're partially responsible for some kid killing himself. Yeah. I mean, they're going to, these kids are making these decisions now that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And, uh, you know, they really need to be talked to by their parents and, and you know, maybe make this, uh, a, you know, a big deal and really tell them, you, you know, what you're doing here to other people isn't. Well, right. And it, and, and that's why, I mean, see, I think that I, that starts, and I'm, I'm talking, I want to get away from the Glen Hills thing. I want to just talk about it in generalities. You know, I, I think it starts with, if a kid, if, the, if your child is being bullied and, and you're, you know, you're not aware of it. Maybe it's that type of thing that, again, you need to monitor the social media. You need to see what websites is the kid going to. You know, does they have do they have an email account at the age of 10 or 11? You, you need to kind of find that out in the first place because then if the child's not telling you, you can at least find it out, and then you can go to the school if it's happening in the school, or you can, you know, reach out to the parents of the, the so-called bullies or whatever. You can get yourself involved because it is hateful and and, and and maybe you can end up starting the dialogue like that. I'm just I'm not sure it's a criminal justice matter. I guess is my problem. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of scary nowadays when you got to go to your 12 or 14 year old kid mm. to have them help you with your phone or help yeah. you with their, you know do your remote on your TV because you can't figure it out. I mean, they're so much farther ahead of adult, uh-huh. you know, adults in this stuff that you know they can hide files in their phone. Right. It's right. Crazy. And, well, no, thanks for the call. Right. And like I say, I mean, it, it, it back in the day, you know, it used to be, okay, there, there were always the bullies and stuff. And then you could say, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to avoid the bully or, or whatever after school or, or and, and sometimes that worked, sometimes that didn't. But now, you know, with the internet and the fact that you can have that, that 24 hour trolling and, and all, I mean, it's a different dynamic. And I think parents need to get with the plan. Truth is, this is also one of the dangers that that comes with making the decision in general for people who think, okay, here, I'm going to give my 10-year-old a cell phone or I'm going to give my 10-year-old the the computer and all because, you know, you can tell them only do this. But like uh, Jim was talking about, 
do, do you enforce that? Do you really know what the child is doing? Very difficult, very, very sad story. And I guess, you know, we're going to know more, but maybe it's a teachable moment for more and more parents to start having this discussion and saying, okay, look, if you're going to have these social media accounts, I want to see what's out there. I want to see what people are saying. Because trust me, as somebody who does have more than their share of trolls from time to time, there are people out there that say really hateful, awful things. And, you know, it's one thing to say it to somebody who kind of takes it in stride. It's another thing when you say it to, you know, an impressionable 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 or 14-year-old. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Rue, who's producing the show today and always. Do you and your significant other exchange Christmas gifts? You've been together for at least – so you do. You go out and you – you try to think of something she wants, and you try to buy her something nice and hope that she likes it. That's it? That's a yes? And, and she does the same for you? Okay. And he says, yeah, all right. I, see, I, I, I bring this up. There's a, there's a story. There's two stories in USA Today. Um, one, it's headlined, Why You Shouldn't Give Gifts to Adults. And it, 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 here, well, here's what it says. The holiday season is here, and shoppers have started the annual scramble to find the perfect gift for everyone on their list most of whom are probably grown adults. Here, frankly, is why you shouldn't. I think it amounts to a lot of crap that people really don't need, says such-and-such, an American writer living in Montreal. We've been saying this for years to our extended families at Christmas. Um, And and then the story goes on to talk about how, you know, it's one thing for, for children you know, at Christmas, but it's another thing. Do do adults really need the gifts? The other story in USA Today about this shows that an alarming percentage of people who bought gifts last Christmas for people still haven't paid that off. The, the credit card debt that they got into for Christmas gifts they bought last year is still following them. They haven't paid that off, and now they're getting ready to go into a, a new rain, a realm of spending. Now, this is kind of kind of hit home with me because my life is a little bit different this year. I got married a couple months ago, and um, my wife has a, an extended family. She's got six got six sisters who are just, they're all delightful. They're, they're all delightful, and she's got just this ton of, of friends, and I'm kind of the new new guy in this whole thing, and I'm like, well, you know, should... What you know? What what should we do? Should we you know get gifts? And and she's like, no, my my sisters and I we, we don't give gifts. We we never have. We 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 get together for lunch and we have like an ornament exchange. So somebody you know we we get everybody draws somebody's name. We get a, we give a Christmas ornament or something like that. That that's kind of like what their family tradition is. And we're wrestling. And she says, okay, well, what do you you know? What do you do for your brother? What do you do for your sister in law? What do you do for the kids? Of course, you know your your niece is now you know, a woman. She's you know off at college, eighteen. You know how do we handle Handle all that this type of stuff, and the more and more I think about it, and it's you, you know you don't want to seem like like a Grinch, but but here's here is the truth, and I and I appreciate it's the thought that counts, but I'm kind of at a point in my life where I, I'm very diff- I, I don't need anything. I mean, it, it's really I'm I'm in the process of substantially downsizing. I mean, I'm I'm going through, you know, my house now, room by room, and cleaning it out, and figuring out what I want to take with me when I move into a new house, and what just goes into the dumpster, and what goes to Goodwill, and what goes to other people. I, there, there is literally there is nothing f- 
There is nothing physical. There, there's no object in the world that, that I that I need. And if there is something that I need, I'm fortunate enough to be in a situation where I'll, I'll go out and buy it for myself. I'm impossible to buy for because if there's you know a, a new record that's coming out, I'm probably going to buy it. If there's a new book that I want, I'm just very, very difficult to buy for, which doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the thought, but... I, I mean, I don't need people spending money on on me. I I, I just don't. I, I'm at that point, so I I'm you know we're, we're kind of you know wrestling with that. And again, as somebody who's newly married, I you know you you want to you 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 want to show that you care and you love the, the person you're with and all that type of stuff. But I, I'm wrestling with this you know this this whole idea of going out and buying gifts. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about stuff for the kids in your life, for your your nephew or your niece or whatever, but but for for adults. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. How do you handle this? How do you handle the adults in your life? Your 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 good friends, your casual friends, your brothers-in-law, your sisters-in-law. I mean, how do you, you know, how, how if you're if your mother and father-in-law are, are still alive or your mom and dad are, are alive? I mean, is it is it do you still go out and buy gifts or do you people reach a certain point where there's again there's in many cases there's really nothing nothing that you can get them or or nothing that that they need so you know maybe it's just the, the gift of time or here let's I want to take you out to lunch or something like that I mean do you need the material gifts 4147991620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line like I say the uh, this piece why you shouldn't give gifts and it essentially says that for for adults, um, as a general rule, you know, going out and, and buying the gloves or buying the scarves or things like that, you know, in, in almost you know the vast majority of situations, you're, you're giving people something, and it's a thought that counts. Um, but you're giving them something that they really that they don't need. And are you a Grinch if the adults in your life don't don't get gifts? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, having said that, my wife's birthday was about a week ago, and she said, "Gee, we spent all this money on the wedding, and we're doing all this and that. Don't get me a gift. There's no way she wasn't getting a gift from me." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mary Jo in Waukesha. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, well, Mary first jo. of all. My best Christmas present this year is having you back on the afternoon show. Oh, thank you. You are so thank sweet. And, and, God. <laughs> well, I, 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 I love it, too. So that was a good present that uh, WTMJ Management gave me. Thank you. Yes, That's very sweet yes. of you. Uh, my daughters are out on their own, and one is married, and one is overseas. And what we have done for the last couple of years, because we've run into the same predicament, what can I get you? And I, too, am very difficult to... Buy for. We have picked out a couple charities. Each of us pick out two charities, and uh, we let the other two know, or you know, the other people know, and they make donations in our name to those charities. And we're happy. Mm-hmm. We're done. We've done something good for humanity and whatever, and we're satisfied. We're happy with that. Now, if if your children were actually children, you know, when they're fourteen, mm-hmm. fifteen, sixteen, or mm-hmm. eight or nine or ten, would that be different? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, and it was really only for the kids. And what I would do is I would shop for myself and then box it all up for myself. <laughs> and then Christmas morning it would be from daddy, you know, to mom or whatever. And I'd go, oh, I want a free sweater. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd yeah. I'd it on myself. But I, I agree. I don't think for adults that's, 
no, uh uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, I I think, and I'm trying to kind of wrestle with this, I I think it would be, hey, I'd much rather say, you know, I haven't seen you in, we haven't seen you in three months, you know, let's go out to dinner, or I'll I'll pick up the tab, or or whatever, let's meet for lunch, or whatever, I I just, I'd like to see you, and I'd like your company, I'd like to catch up, you know, in person, I, I think that's... I'd much rather have that than you know, because uh, the truth is, I like I say, Mary Jo, I don't know about you, I'm impossible to buy for. If if, if I want yeah. it, I got it. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Right. Well, thank you so thanks. much. Well, thanks, have and thanks it. for the kind word, and Merry Christmas to you as well, Mary Jo. Four one four seven. How kind? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm really wrestling with this idea of, are are you are you a Grinch? I mean, look, I, there's I. Are there things you could get me? Yeah, I, I drink bourbon. Okay, yeah, you, I mean, and, and and that's fine. I mean, if somebody wants to give me that, I'll I'll be delighted to have a bottle of good bourbon and stuff. But at the same time, it's not necessary. I mean, I just assume, hey, let's get together. I'll, yeah, I, I can I can do you know three o'clock. I can do three thirty. Let's go out for a drink or something like that, and let's catch up. Um, when when Fran and I got married, I mean, we not everybody listened to us, but we sent out this note. We meant it. We said no gifts. That the, the presence of your company is all we need because, again, I'm I'm dealing with this house that has thirty years worth of stuff in it, and I don't need anything. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to process all the stuff that I have now and and where you can go to give it good homes and things like that. And I think a lot of people, you get to a certain point in life where you're like that. Now, you know, maybe if if you're just if you've got kids and you're just starting out and, and they need they really need something, well, okay, that's a different store to story. But for, you know, adults, you know, are you a Grinch if you don't give gifts? Pat in Greendale. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, we do uh, the white elephant exchange. Okay. Like you were saying that you have so much stuff that you don't know what to do with. Yep, <laughs> I and do. We just do it more for uh, a joke. You know, right. we have Santa Claus so that we have all the little ones and everything, and they do get gifts from their own family. But then the adults, you know, if we don't have something, it looks kind of strange. So we all get a gift, and then we just pick a number, and then everybody, you know, it's something that you have laying around the house that you really don't want (laughs) or something that somebody gave you that... Right. You really don't want. <laughs> well, my- and, and it's kind of a, a funny thing because everybody opens it and it's just a laugh, you know. Yeah. No, I I, I know exactly. I mean, that's. Um- you know, my brother is is renowned for like great joke gifts. You know, and, and mm-hmm. so and that's always the 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 type of thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and j- just so you know, somebody has something to open it all. But yeah, you don't. Right. Y- you know, it, it's if if I if I need a sweater, I can go buy a sweater. If I need a tie, I can go buy a tie. Um, you know, you don't. You know, you, you don't need to do that. And I appreciate the thought. I do, but I love you anyways. If you're part of my yeah. family, you know. Exactly. So, I mean, you're, we're kind of in the same age range as you are, and even with our own children you know what do you want for christmas month you know what do you what, dad what do you want we don't need anything right you know well, well, we've got so much in the house right now when you talk about you cleaning out <laughs> that's exactly where we are right now yeah and, and you look through all this stuff and, and you mm-hmm. you know and and others there's sentimental value to the things but it's i mean i've got 30 years worth of stuff in this house and i mean it's mm-hmm. and and you're you're, you're pro- and you're going through it because i'm not moving all of it when i you know as i'm not moving all of it so it's like okay what do i what do I really need, and you know, what am I going to use? And it's just amazing how much stuff that you accumulate over yeah. over decades. Now, thanks well, to call- think of how much money you spent on it. Well, th- th- thanks. <laughs> well, that that's true too, but that's less of a that that I guess that's kind of less of a factor. That's kind of over the course of a lifetime. Okay, uh, let's see. 
baking. It's the gift from my heart, and everyone can eat it, so there's no dust collectors, no junk, no worry about it, no worries about my grandparents saying, no, you can keep your money. Yeah, now, see, I get that. I mean, that's, if, you know, if, if you can, if you know, if, if you make great cookies or something, you know, bring it on. Hi, Jeff. Uh, let's see. A few, this text. A few years ago, the adults on my husband's side decided to do a white elephant exchange. We spent $50 each. Gifts have to be new, unused, something you can use, etc. Gifts have to be wrapped in a box with the wrong side of the paper. We pick a number and then go from there. It's so much fun. We all still buy something, get something, but we aren't spending on brothers and sisters-in-law. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I think... You know, that's the type of stuff, so you can do it as a fun type of thing. Todd and Sheboygan text, you are not a Grinch for not giving gifts as adults. You keep your money. I'll keep mine. Let's do some kind of trip or dinner as a family or a group of friends. It becomes a hassle trying to come up with ideas sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I would not tell somebody, I don't know what to buy me. I, and again, it's, I don't know. Dawn in Delafield. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, um- Dawn. I like buying presents. Presents, presents, presents. But <laughs> our friends just um, said, just like you, we don't need anything. So what we do is we go, every year we alternate. The first person, first couple picks a place. Like last year we went to John McGivern uh-huh. to see his funny act. And then the other person buys the dinner. Yeah, right, exactly. So we just alternate every year. And it turns out it's so much fun. Yeah, you look forward to it and you figure it out. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, that's... I guess that's it. So I'm, I'm really wrestling. This is, you know, my, my first Christmas under a sort of a, you know, a different living arrangement, and I'm very, very lucky and very, very blessed. And I'm kind of wrestling with how we're going to kind of work this all through. And I guess you, you know, you know, water finds its own level and all that type of stuff. But I, I, I just, you know, I mean. I just plus I I just hate shopping. That's the other thing. I just hate shopping. Having said that, if 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 my wife tells me she doesn't want anything, I'm not listening. She's getting something. That's the bottom line on that one. It's two forty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. Two fifty one. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Speaking of gifts, this is a really really good segue. Today we announced really the the official start of our our twelfth annual. Uh, Christmas at Capco Kids to Kids campaign. This was originally the the brainchild of Jonathan Green, our colleague here for so many years, and, and Jim Kazmarek, who is the owner of Capco. Um, it, this is, again, the 12th annual Christmas at Capco celebration presented by Capco Metal Stamping and uh, WTMJ. Um, th- I think everybody knows the drill by now. What we do is we encourage you to give new toys. And what happens is we work with the Salvation Army, and they set up, like, toy stores, essentially. So underprivileged kids can go. They can essentially shop for their, their own toys, or their parents can shop for their own toys. Um, but it really depends on your generosity. The, the goal is uh, 20000 toys I have a actually I, I've going through my house I've accumulated a bunch of toys that were unused in, in their original boxes and things like that they're new toys um, we're going to be donating a bunch of those to the kids to kids Christmas campaign um, the toy drive there's many different locations we've got all the details up on our website at WTMJ.com um, but we're also as we've done for many many years we're going to be having a couple toy drives for uh, I'm going to be broadcasting my show, and I think Wisconsin's Afternoon News is going to be doing the same um, a week from Friday, December 1st, Village at Manor Park. 
the following uh, week. Um, we're going to be at the Century, Albrecht Century and Delafield Market on Golf Road in Delafield, again from noon to 6, so my show in Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Then it all wraps up on the 16th, which is a Saturday of December, at Capco in Grafton from 9 until 2. I'll be there for a couple hours at least, um, doing some call-ins and all, and that's where they have all the toys set up. But, you know, we've got all the details on our website. We'll be telling you a little bit more about it as time goes on. But um, this is one of those things where part of the idea behind it also is if you've got kids yourself, just to kind of teach them about the value in giving, you know, take them out, let them pick out a toy, and then come by and donate it. Um, it's just it's been wonderful. It has been heartwarming. It has been very, very life-affirming. I'm glad we've been doing this, and this is the 12th year. Proceeds from our holiday show, at least a portion of the proceeds from the holiday show that we're going to be putting on a week from tonight, also go to support Kids to Kids Christmas. So hope everybody can uh, generously give. So children whose Christmas might otherwise not be as merry um, can have a good holiday season. All right, it is 2.50, and we'll have more details as we get closer to the events. Like I say, our first radio-driven broadcast is at Village at Manor Park, VMP, um, a week from Friday. All right, it is 2.54. John McCure is around. We'll find out what he's got on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.